For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. And what's happening, everybody? Back-to-back shows here on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and very excited today because not only do we have a sweet back-to-back, but here on the second half of our twin bill... We'll be talking to the wonderful Josh Lloyd about his nine-cat mock results. He's also got a few late targets up his sleeve, and we'll get to that in about 20 seconds. First, welcome. You can find me on social at Dan Bespris. Please do take a moment to like, rate, subscribe. You guys know the spiel at this point. Every little bit you do helps for our young, blossoming flower of a Sports Ethos YouTube account. I know. I get weird with these things. Josh, good day to you, sir. Was that a little too weird? It sounds like you need to be in a registry, to be honest. (laughs) But I can't afford to move right now. It's too expensive here in Los Angeles. Uh, (laughs) Josh, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. uh, I was better before I heard that, but I'm good. (laughs) You don't like my flower metaphor for our sports ethos? No, too That's much. That's all right, mate. I, I'm, I, mean, I throw whatever out there. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, reflective. I can, uh, I can take it all on. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've, you, you're, uh, can I call you an avid show host? You've done quite a few of avid them. Shows. Yeah, quite yeah, a I few. Have. I'm, cl- I'm closing in on four thousand total shows in uh, that I've hosted in, in on my show in my career. So yeah, I would say that it is something that I. Uh, don't detest. Yeah, you're you're sort of into it a little bit. So you yeah. know what I'm about to say, which is. This is a two-part thing. The run-up to the season is equal parts delightful and wonderful because we've been suffering through an off-season where we are providing content that at times is like, oh my God, what am I going to talk about today? And at the same time, there's so much to talk about right now that I'll admit I'm a little bit sleepy. So, fair? Yeah, look, it's it also part of the thing in this portion of the year is that we've been... Yeah, building up to it and working to get stuff out and so many angles to cover. And then you just start overthinking things. And you mm. go, oh, well, but, but, but what if this isn't right? And what if this isn't here and this happens differently? And we still have so many questions that we don't know. And I don't know, man. Sometimes you have to be like, and I'm sort of taking more of that attitude on this season. It's like, hey, stuff's going to change. It's going to change a lot. And sometimes even if something changes a very small amount, it's going to throw so many different things out. Everything's a domino. If someone then averages... Point two steals fewer than you thought they would, then that guy might move down 10 spots and then that changes the value of five other guys. And then you go, oh, you had this guy 20 spots. Okay, this is what what happens. And if you sit there and overthink and overanalyze, uh, and that's why I've been really big on this season in talking about drafts, Dan, it's like, you know, yeah, your draft is not the end of anything. It's not even, it, it might be 50% of what you do. Like there are so many ways to change, recover, adjust your team um, as the season goes on. So don't be disheartened or be boastful that you've got the best team in the world or you've got the shittest team in the world because yeah, stuff changes real quickly. 
Josh, you can find, of course, on social at RedRock underscore B-Ball, host of almost 4,000 episodes. That's crazy, man. Uh, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Um, so you said something in there before we get to your your mock team, because that is what's coming up here in a moment. But you mentioned about like the, the concept of overthinking. And I've found that I am uh, a, a constant victim of that. And some of it is because there's... You know, part of our job uh, as as show hosts is to talk to other people. I've struggled sometimes with just sort of this, like, cooks in my kitchen. Like, I want to make sure that I'm talking to all the people that are very smart and doing these things a lot. But you almost have to, like, at the end of some shows, flip your brain switch and go, okay, now, wait a minute. Like, what do I actually believe? How have you, I don't want to say have you ever run into this kind of thing, but how do you combat that if there is a lot of different pieces of information out there like how do you figure out the ones that you really agree with i think the way that i do it and i'm always adjusting the way that i approach things is is that when i am doing something i i do everything that i think in a relative vacuum right so i'll go through and do all my thoughts and projections and all that sort of stuff in a relative vacuum and sit back and and think about it and look at it. And then when I talk to others, I'll hear their arguments. And most of the time, because of the way I work, I have already heard that argument or I have dismissed it or I've brought it on or whatever in my process. So if this happens or if this happens or if this happens and someone might come in and I've settled on like path A and someone else might've settled on path B and I go, yeah, I did think about that, but I've gone this way. So I, my exhaustive initial process usually puts me through all the different paths that a projection or a thought can take on a player. And so when I do hear somebody else's thing, I have, it's generally not something that is new information. So I have already thought about it, considered it and, you know, not dismissed it, but also thought like to me, that wasn't how I, the direction I wanted to go. So not that I'm not swayed because I'm always taking on new information, but the new information I'm taking on is usually something that materially changes through words that a coach has said or an injury or a trade or a free agent signing. Then I can make my choices on that. But I'd like to, I don't ever just go in and go, well, this guy was this and therefore he is this. And that's what I'm thinking because I'll look at, well, what about all these different scenarios? What's most likely sit on that and then I can hear other arguments and be always open to the fact that there's many paths for every player to take really. Let's take a look at the draft board as we dive on in and apologies in advance. I know that everything is very small. I maximized space here to the best of my ability. I mean, I thought I did okay by all accounts. Those that are listening, I'll make sure that uh, I read off every name on the board. Josh has the number two pick. You, uh, we've done this before, Josh. I think we've done this the last four, mm. four some odd years in a row leading up to the season. So you guys know, uh, or you know what's coming. To anybody that is listening to this for the first time, we're just going to take a journey through Josh's team from point one to point. I, I eliminated the 12th round, actually, because I think half of the teams auto-picked in that one. So I, I went round run through round 11 uh, on the board right now. And then we'll get anybody else that you were perhaps looking at in those last two or three rounds that didn't get to your team, that either got scooped up too early or just kind of ran out of slots to place them. So, uh, I don't want to call it controversial, but an interesting pick right out of the shoot at number two. You did not go Doncic or Embiid and jumped straight to Tyrese Halliburton, who I'm high on Indy. I went on a, a 
betting podcast this morning or a betting show this morning. I said, I think Indy's going to have a really good year and Halliburton's sort of at the center of it. Um, is this a less controversial call than people might think it is? Halliburton at two? That's a good way of phrasing it because people will think that that is silly to take in there. And I, I do understand that, right? Um, I mainly wanted to do something to mix it up a little bit, but just to change it because my thought process is is Jokic sits there at number one. He might not finish number one. I don't care, right? It doesn't matter. You take him at number one. But to me, the next three guys are pretty much equivalent. And understanding the way that assists are quite a tough category to get. I can get a league leader in assists there. Yeah, the points aren't going to be particularly strong for Halliburton there. But also when I get back around to my second round pick, a lot of those 26, 27 point scorers are gone anyway. So I'm okay with being a little bit weaker in that area. But I just, do I feel more confident in Embiid being healthy or with turmoil in Philadelphia? Um, no, not really. Like, and I just, I just wanted to do it. Like, honestly, like, I think that we can have these set top six or top seven or whatever you want to say. And there are certain sections where you can just mix and match. And it doesn't, as long as you make the correct decisions on your team later on, I don't think it actually hurts you to, to do something a little bit different in that spot. I don't know that there's a whole lot to add there. Um, we'll have probably longer discussions on a few of the players in the middle. I don't know that there's going to be a long discussion on your second rounder either because he's a little bit of a Dan Vesper's favorite, and that's Jimmy Butler at 23. Older player, not super exciting, but a team that, as we saw last year, needed every ounce of Butler late in the season to get even into the damn playoffs before they made their improbable finals run. Emo Jimmy at 23, anything people need to know about this pick, or is this just kind of like a, look, this dude is a top 12 per game guy, and you don't expect him to have any massive injury concerns beyond the usual nagging stuff? I don't, fill, in, fill in whatever cracks I'm leaving open there. Yeah, that's the only thing with him is historically he has worn down through March. Didn't happen last season, but it's happened yeah, four or five times in his career. But I'm okay with him there. Like, I wouldn't have... If Lillard had have arrived in Miami, I wouldn't have been looking at him in that position. But you know, the team is basically the same as they were. Well, actually, they're worse than they were last season. So <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with getting him there. I don't love it. Look, it's not something I do in, in every single situation. There are other guys that I would take in that spot. Like, for example, like Jimmy Harden goes a couple of picks later, but I just don't know what's happened. Like, if I knew that he was settled in Philadelphia, then I would definitely have taken him, as I assume many other people would have. But it's not the case. So Jimmy was okay there. And it's not an egregious like reach or and there is still a little bit of upside in it. I think it just works with my Halliburton pick earlier on. Bam Adebayo at uh, 26 in the third round, another player that benefited from Dame not going to Miami. Tell me about the, uh, the fit here. Was this uh, a situation where he was your favorite player on the board, where he was a player that was both very good and kind of fit some of the things that were missing? Uh obviously very durable, which is helpful after Butler, who maybe isn't. Um, what went into the BAM pick here at 26? I wish I could remember exactly, Dan, but now I'm trying to go back and, because we did this, what, two weeks <laughs> yeah, ago? Whatever it was. So I'll tell you what current Josh thinks about what past Josh did here <laughs> is that I, I picked Tyrese Halliburton, so I went, all right, I'm probably not going to lean into getting uh, blocks in, in this draft, but when you lean into you know, avoiding blocks or disregarding blocks it's really tough to make sure that you also like keep your rebounds and field goal percentage high. They are the Holy Trinity of stats that combine together. Right. 
So getting a big man in these early rounds, despite the punting blocks, is key. Bam doesn't get blocks. His value isn't eroded by uh, me disregarding that category. Field goal percentage, a bit of rebounding. Now, I was, I'm probably a little bit higher on Bam when I did this than I am now because I thought that they wouldn't be starting Kyle Lowry, which meant that there would be more of an opportunity for Bam's assist numbers to rise. It does appear that Lowry is going to start now. So we've seen the impact of Lowry in that starting lineup, and it just does reduce all of Bam's assist opportunities. So I'm not sure I would have necessarily gone that direction with him if I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now. But in terms of that fit of a big man, that makes a little bit of sense. And again, is it egregiously high? No. Is it a a super value that slid? Not particularly. I think it's just sort of what it is. Yeah, I'm taking us off course here for a second. Uh, I just had a conversation earlier today with Brew on an episode about draft strategy where I was asking for folks that were more novice level, maybe novice to even sort of like low intermediate, is it, do you think it, uh, like an easier way to build a team generally leaning towards these safer, more durable guys? Is it easier to do it? Um, or just like a way that maybe you'd suggest someone break into playing fantasy if they were doing it for a first time kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. The, the yeah, I don't know what the, thing, I don't know what the right answer is on that either. The durability thing is interesting, Dan, because I try to look at this stuff every single year, and games played do not correlate year on year, right? So we could say Bam, but two years ago, didn't he miss like thirty games with a thumb injury? So he might be durable, but stuff happens, right? There's always random things that happen. So it's an okay baseline in a lot of situations. My my general rule on that sort of stuff is if you've got a repetitive lower body issue, then I will put an element of risk on that player. But if it's like something that was sort of out of control, like Bam's thumb issue, I'm not really going to consider it, but it also doesn't guarantee that he's going to be there and healthy in terms of what a novice player does. It is really, really hard to, to get in, to get into that. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, sometimes it's hard for me. And like, I'm sure you have this problem is that you absorb this stuff 12 hours a day, 365 days of the year. And then you're like, the question is, oh, someone who just dropped in now two days before the season starts, what should they know? I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm struggling I, I with actually, it. I, I actually don't really know how to provide that best basic, which I probably need to get better at. So, yes, to answer your question in a terrible way, I would say, <laughs> yes, those guys that you have. It, well, it probably doesn't give you the best chance of winning it gives you the best chance of not being terrible. Yeah. And if you are a novice in there, being not terrible, playing out the season, being competitive, learning as you go along is probably a, a benefit rather than I'm going to swing for the fences on these guys. And if it doesn't work out, you go, well, this game's shit. I'm terrible at it. How can I do it? But I'm never coming back. Right. So yes is your answer. Yeah. I think that's kind of the way I'm leaning too. And then the last thing you said kind of put the cherry on, it was like play out a season. You give yourself an opportunity to learn all the different nuances of the game, the way you change strategy at different parts of the year. Maybe you slip into your playoffs if it's head-to-head, and you sort of get to learn that process. It does, I think, take a year for folks to kind of figure out the game a little bit if you're just breaking in. So hanging in there is probably, maybe that's the the answer to that question. Uh, end of the fourth, you went Jordan Poole, and he is... Is he one of the most polarizing players in fantasy drafts right now? Give me the give me the Josh Jordan Poole pitch. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. 
It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Um, is he polarizing? Probably a little bit. I tell you, and I think you know why, Dennis. People just think he's a terrible player. People just go, man, this guy sucks. The Warriors just gave him away. He's, okay, that's cool, but it doesn't actually mean anything. He's not terrible. That was a terrible it's a weird season. He still was solid enough. He also had a 30% usage in 30 minutes and is an 85 plus percent free throw shooter, absolute minimum, who can run as a point guard and handle the ball and getting someone who might average, let's say 25 a game minimum, who might hit three threes a game, who might get five and a half to six assists, who might get to the line six at times and hit 88%. It's a pretty good player, right? And I don't think any of those things are an outrageous thing to suggest, especially if he starts alongside low usage Tyus Jones, low usage Bilal Kalabali, and low usage Dan Gafford, right? He's going to have a lot of opportunities to do that. I would think that like getting him at 47 here, in a lot of the drafts I do, he goes in early to mid round three. And I wouldn't have any issue if someone wanted to look at him. Not any issue. I think it takes away value. But if you look at the end of round two, he could return that value. Like, the, could he be Trey Young with fewer assists maybe and that's like Trey Young goes at the end of round one so Trey might get 10 assists Paul might get six but otherwise what what is the difference in their overall game is does Poole so I, I'll, I'll admit he's a player that I'm struggling with and when I struggle to handicap a player I end up not drafting them because I just be like well I don't know what I'm getting out of this do you feel like the the field goal percent is going to be a, a small issue, a medium issue, or a big issue? That's where, I mean, for me, that's where I'm sort of sitting as, I don't know, it could be it could be any one of the three. Um, I think it's going to be a sizable issue, really. Um, but we're talking head-to-head here, and I can deal with that on a weekly basis, especially yeah, Jimmy's not a bad field goal guy. Bam's a good field goal guy. You'll see some of my later picks have some decent field goal. But also, if I lose it, I lose it. I think when I'm looking at these things, if he's providing me a sizable boost in points in threes and free throw percentage with a significantly above average assist likelihood as well, I I can sacrifice that one category there. So I'm not going to be turned off by a, well, it's the same thing. Like, you know, we've seen Fred Van Vliet go in round two for many, many years. Is Jordan Poole going to shoot 39% from the field? I doubt it. So if you're able to withstand (laughs) Fred Van Vliet's bad field goal percentage in round two for years and years and years in a row, then I'm pretty happy getting Poole at 47 by the way, and the reason that I uh, ground in hard on that is because your next pick, next pick, three picks later, is the exact opposite on the field goal percent spectrum, and that's Zion uh, at pick 50. So was that a consideration? You were like, well, I just took pool. I might as well get the guy that balances that, or is this I just like Zion here? 
I'm just trying to think back and I'm just looking at how my team. Yeah. Remember what past Josh was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm just trying to see how my team ended up projecting in those stats. And with the way that I built the team, I was actually sitting at like 82% from the, from the line. So having Butler, big free throws, big attempts, Halliburton, big free throws, medium attempts, pool, big free throws, big attempts. And you'll see later on, I got a few other big free throw guys as well. And it's a swing, but you know, we talk about novice players taking risks, like taking Zion at 51 or something is a risk. It might not work out, but we also saw yesterday him what five steals and two blocks in 22 minutes or something, which is something that he flashed when he was in college and hasn't in the NBA. But if he does that and then scores 29 points on 63% shooting and gets you 1.5 steals and a block with seven rebounds, when then, well, he beats his by 30 spots, I think, comfortably. Yeah. But, he well, probably, but he probably doesn't, right? He probably doesn't. But he also, and I, I didn't actually realize this, Dan, is two years ago, I think it was, he played 61 out of 72 games. Yeah, so that was crazy. He's been injured every year. And I'm not just, not telling you that he's a beacon of health or he's going to stay healthy, but we have the impression, and I had it as well, that he's never had a healthy season, but he did. He did have a healthy season. He had one. It's just, it's just two years ago. And so that to me says that, well, it, it is possible. Is it likely? No, but it is possible. <laughs> It is possible. Yeah. I had that same realization when I was looking at the the year by year. And I went, oh, look at that. He did it one time. Yeah. That's what I went, wow. And the same thing happened to me not, yeah, with LaMelo Ball because everyone's like screaming. Yeah, he did it one time too. This guy. He played 75 games a year ago. Mm-hmm. And people go, man, he's always injured. Bro, he played 75 games. Yeah, there's what, 10 blokes that played 75 games last year? And again, this is not to say that he will play 75 games or that he didn't have an ankle problem, but we see what happened in the last season and just go, well, that's it. That's everything he's ever done and everything that he will do moving forward. And it's just not true. If between those two guys, I feel like we have to be a little more confident that the smaller one who's not built like a Mack truck can withstand the durability stuff a little better, right? Well, I guess it depends, doesn't it? Because you might, you could, I could argue the opposite. Back to our earlier point about taking other people's opinions on Dan. I could say, well, LaMelo Ball's more frail, so he's more likely True. to get knocked over and land on his wrist and break his arm because he doesn't have the ability for guys to bounce off him. Which one of those is the more accurate assessment? I've got no idea. But yeah. like you can you can make those. I don't think that... I remember having this argument with someone, and I've lost the argument about Zion before he came into the league. Like, man, I don't know. Look, is, is his weight a problem? Is there going to be so much issue with his body? And I said to them okay that's cool but we've also never seen anybody at this size be as explosive and athletic as him maybe there's just a bunch of stuff that's different with him because honestly you've never seen someone do this before so that might mean that all these other things of well if someone is a little bit more overweight there's extra stress on their knees and it's going to blow out all the time maybe that doesn't apply not that zion's had persistent knee problems because that hasn't been his issue it's been other stuff and it's been more i think with zion not the his size causing the injury it's his lack of motivation getting back from yeah. the injury that's been, that's been more of the problem because a hamstring, he could have been back in three or four weeks, but I'd, every report would suggest that the reason he didn't is because he didn't, because he didn't want to, because he just didn't, like he ate himself out of shape. He was depressed at the injury and so much other stuff going on in his life, a lack of commitment, not that he just constantly was getting hurt on court because guys, guys get hurt all the time on the court and they come back. His problem is he doesn't come back. That is brutal. Do you think that any of that mental stuff has improved year over year? Hard for us to know. It is hard for us to know. There has there has been an overwhelming volume of comments that suggest that it is at least marginally different. And I have heard that a little bit behind the scenes as well. But I don't know. Is it 
people blowing smoke up your ass. I don't know. But <laughs> when you try and compare the volume of what you hear now versus what you might have heard last off season, it is very different. All right. Mm. The tenor and the tone of what the players and the coaches and the GMs and assistant GMs are saying is part of that motivational. I don't know. But it is a very different um, level that you're hearing, I think. Mm. I like it. Honestly, I could spend the next 15 to 20 just talking about Zion, but I guess we should probably keep going. Probably. Uh, Anthony Simons at the end of the sixth, and I can almost lump the next two together a little bit. Tyler Hero at the start of the seventh, if you wanted to talk about one, two, or both of them. Uh, Simons obviously stepping into a much larger role with Damian Lillard not there anymore. Tyler Hero on the other side of that same discussion, Dame didn't go to Miami, and so Tyler, mm. Tyler Hero gets to keep the role that he had uh, in prior years. Do you think any, uh, let me try to ask this question in a fresh, new, fun way. Uh, do you think anything changes for Tyler Hero season over season? And then for Simons, how does he, uh, how does his role evolve over the course of this year as the Blazers work scoot into things more and more? The reason I took these guys is they're, they're relatively equivalent, right, in terms of players. Hero had a really strong start in rebounding last season that came back to earth, but he's going to have to be relied upon a little bit more. They lose Vincent and they lose Struess and they replace him with Richardson. So that's not like a one-to-one -one replacement. It's obviously two-to-one. So he's going to be relied upon a little bit more. But when I took, you know, Halliburton or to a lesser extent Halliburton, but mainly Poole, getting these guys to help offset Zion's free throws, but also like, okay, let's load up. Let's get assists. Let's get threes let's get points let's get free throw percentage let's make them a real big strength of this team knowing that it's going to be harder to get some of these categories later on and i think both of those players are in situations where they can outstrip that position as for simons i let me put it this way i have a small worry about simons i, I think that for the start of the season he will smash this number and yeah, I was someone was like, man, watch him top 10 score in the NBA. They're going to put everything through him. I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting, right? That's useful. But long term, my understanding, and it might have changed, my understanding with the Blazers is that the backcourt is sharp and scoot. It is not Simons. So do they sell off at the deadline? Does he get moved somewhere? I would put that as a 0.5% chance. But if Sharp is like, no, where you're too good to be playing fourth offensive fiddle or playing off the bench. And some team wants Simons to be there 28 minute a night, Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson on a good team. I, um, let's just say I wouldn't be shocked if Simons plays for a different team at hmm. the end of the season. Wow. Okay. Man, that's I, I a lot to I process. Look, I don't know. I don't know that for sure, but I know that this, I haven't, I actually haven't checked in on this super recently, but it was always like scoot and sharp. And Simons is sort of sitting there. We'll give him a little bit of stuff to do this season, but. Hmm. Ideally, he we probably move on is, is what I was understanding on this team, uh, you know, a, a little while ago. So, is this a, a play where you're actually like consciously working on trying to move him from your fantasy team partway through the year? Or no, look again, if if I hear a little bit more, then yes, I'm just putting it out. Look, there are certain situations where I go, Tyrus Halliburton is not getting moved, right? That is not happening. It's almost there's no almost no chance that Bam Adebayo is getting moved. There's probably no chance that Austin Reeves is getting moved, which is my next pick after yeah. that. But if I'm going to put likelihoods on things, I'm not going like if if it did come out that Simon's would move, I go, hey, that makes sense. I I would not be making moves based on that. 
I'm not sitting in a situation where I know this is going to happen or it is actively happening, but it would not shock me in the slightest. Hmm. Austin Reeves, by the way, you got at 95 here in this one. He's been an interesting uh, fantasy season journey because I think he was getting drafted in the 70s when everything opened up in August two months ago, uh, and now he's fallen back into the mid to late 90s. What... uh, what's the story there? Like for someone who had as much hype with the FIBA stuff as Reeves and, and is it just like putting distance between the last time people saw him or have, has there been a lot of negative press that I haven't seen about him? Why did he fall 20 slots in fantasy drafts? Um, Cause I, I rather like him here in the mid nineties. Let me tell you my thought process on not on why I picked him, but what I think has happened to Reeves is that, I don't know why he would have opened up at that spot, but what I do know that happened is that as soon as the World Cup was on and then the US got eliminated, now this was more apparent on ESPN, but I do a weekly check-in on rankings and ADPs. And when the US got eliminated, the top three fallers in ADP were Anthony Edwards, Jaron Jackson, and Austin Reeves because they struggled in that third-place game, right? And Jackson, there was so much publicity about his rebound numbers and Reeves had like seven points or whatever in that final game. And they fell like six, five spots in a week in ADP and went, ah, all right. So we're seeing that. And then there's the Lakers pushback. Why is this fraud on Team USA? It's only because he plays for the Lakers, blah, blah, blah. The second thing I think is, is that I've never really seen this happen a huge amount until this season. And it probably has happened. I've just never seen it. But I'm seeing more and more people go into drafts or talk to me and exclusively just use the numbers from last season. And that doesn't capture Reeves' season. Yes, he played 28 minutes a night for the year. But if you're just looking at his total season numbers from last season, they don't give a um, a realistic view of it. He was playing as a bench guy behind Russell Westbrook when he was clearly their third best player. He Second half of the season, he started getting to the line a ton. The usage went up. The ball was in his hands. We saw what he did in the playoffs. I think he's pretty clearly that third guy on this team now. But so many people default back to looking at past season numbers hmm. and just fully extrapolating them to this year without understanding that 70% of that season probably doesn't mean anything. And his role drastically changed towards the end of the season. Now there's certain things about what he did end of season. I'm not sure continues. He shot like what 64% from two or something insane number and got to the line a crazy amount as well. And some of that was without LeBron. I understand all that, but there is a default way that some people more than I expected look at things that go, well, I'm just using last year's numbers. And I think that's, what's pushing back. Hmm. Do you, I mean, I, you took him here. So I assume you like him at this spot. Cause I certainly do. Yeah. Look, it's, and it's all about getting value down. Like he can get some assists. Yes. He's not going to be a steals or blocks guy, but you'll notice in some of the picks or one think the next pick after this, where I grabbed a guy that might get a lot of steals, but his ability to get some scoring, some assists, to influence my free throw percentage category, to make it still strong while I've got Zion. Uh, and what round am I in? Bloody round nine or something. Um, yeah, was it round yeah, round eight? Uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't work out and he drops a round, it doesn't matter. If he completely busts, it also matters very little. But if he actually even works out or improves there, I'm very happy with that result. Is he kind of the last significant positive impact free throw guy that doesn't have a massive hole in their game? It's a good question. I think, I think one Almost. of those guys. Well, it's, when you talk holes in their game, like maybe Jordan Clarkson, but he's got a hole. But I would also say the bloke that I grabbed in round ten has a real chance to be a massive free throw guy. Uh, good point. Ben, yeah, Matherin. Now he had 
gigantic holes in his game. He didn't really do anything else. He shot really poorly from the field and he didn't do much else, but he's in year two. That can improve, but getting what five attempts from the line or six attempts as a rookie and shooting big free throw percentage. If he actually tightens up a few of those things, like he, if I'm looking at the board here, he's probably that big volume free throw guy across the last five rounds. I would say I'm trying to find if there's anyone else that's sort of in that mix. It's and, slim you know, though. At, not, at it's really, good, it's yeah. really him, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's him and probably Clarkson are the two in those last four rounds. And uh, quickly is a good free throw. Should be, doesn't really get to the line. And Rogier is too, but he also doesn't get to the line amount. So I think I probably snagged the best two of those in the final yeah, four rounds. You really did. It's, it's amazing because we always get in these discussions about what what's really hard to find late in drafts. And it feels like it's positive impact field goal or free throw guys. Is that... I don't it know. Is. Maybe I'm getting too caught up in it. It it no, it is like I think a lot of the time, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, Dan. Is we look at these things, and we, we have the ability to see what categories go off the board when and what becomes rare. And it is true, but there are always like one to two of those guys. Like we can say, hey, you can't get high scoring players late in the draft, but I could get Keldon Johnson in round twelve, who might score twenty <laughs> points per game. Right? You That's- could. That's one needle in a haystack guy there. So it is available. It's just not readily available. Right. Like Very easy you, to miss on that guy. Someone else could take him. Exactly. So it's not that easy. Like, could you find a guy that averages seven assists late in the draft? It's really, really hard. But maybe Trey Jones is there at 110, and maybe he is that guy. But if you don't get him, then you're cooked. Like There's not that many of those guys around. So while as a general rule, when we just look at averages of guys there, that does become hard to get. But there is the one or two guys that sort of sit and we say that with points all the time, but in each round, as you go through there's probably a 20 point scorer there, there's you know, clay in round eight or seven or whatever it is. And then there's Simon's in round six or seven. There's always just one guy, but if you don't get him, then you're left with a bunch of blokes scoring 13 points. Yeah. Good point. Well, you were, uh, you didn't say the name of your next pick in the ninth round, which would have been fine. You could have said it. I think you could have, I think you like hinted at it. Maybe you said it. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic early nine. Hmm. Um, does it feel like he gets a new lease on life here after the trade? I mean, it, he feels like he could be a fresh start kind of guy because I know he's had a number of seasons where, and I think you even came on this show maybe two years ago and you were like, look, here's the word out of Portland that he's out of shape. He's not really focused. And mm. sure enough, I think what he played by half the season then got hurt and didn't really play anymore after that. Do we have better words, vibes, the report on Nurk a little better here after the trade? I I don't know because I I as you might be able to tell, I get information from Portland, not necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily from Phoenix. So I don't have that one on Nurk, but I also know that that injury wasn't a real injury. So that's a, that's okay. Um, <laughs> Nurkic has a really, really good fantasy game, right? Something happened when Chauncey Billups took over that changed their defensive scheme completely. And he just never blocked shots. Whether that comes back or not, I've got no idea, but on a team that doesn't have a distinct number one passing option, he, he can pass. Like he, he is a good passer. And he can score and he can rebound. And again, it's, is it free money at this spot? Probably. Is he? Could he get hurt? Yeah. But I don't really think that there is... Um, yeah, I think lease on life is a great way of putting it down. I think that he is... You've got... Again, I don't know how you like to look at it, but when we get to these last rounds, I want a couple of guys who are like, if things break right, I don't have to squint super hard to see them pushing 40 spots up. And if Nurkic goes... Let's say 14, 10, three and a half, 1.4 blocks, shoots 55 and 75, which is a big, it's, it's a step to get there, but it's not impossible. It's not it's like me saying, well, Anthony Simon's going to average seven rebounds. Okay, that's never going to happen. 
but Nurk could do those things. It's yeah. a long shot, but I'd rather take the long shot on that versus say, I'm going to see who picked this guy so I don't call them out too much. Um, oh, I was Dan Tyler, so I can call him out. Like if it's a Zubats. Right, Zubats is solid, but Sorry, Dan. He, doesn't have, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have the upside of it, right? Like he doesn't, he's okay. Like if you're looking for rebounds in that spot, it works. And that's how, like there's so many different ways you can approach every pick. But I wouldn't say that there's a chance that Zubats goes uh, 30 for two minutes, 16 and 10, two blocks and, you know, starts dishing assists. Like, that's just, I just, I just don't believe that's going to happen. But Nurk, I can see a big improvement from here. Yeah, I mean, he's done it. That's, at least True. in my eyes, that's like the easiest way yep. to say, could you see this thing happening? It's like, well, yeah. I mean, if it happened already, mm. becomes a very easy thing. Like, he's not going to shoot 90% at the line like he did, what was that, Bubble Nurk, right? Yeah, those six games, whatever it was, <laughs> yeah, when he was like the 10th best player. Yeah, yeah so you don't need that. But, like, again, you said you're getting him here in the, uh, basically, a pick 100. Uh, he has, like you said, you don't have to squint that hard to see him kind of blasting past that. Uh, again, I didn't put the 12th round on the board, but I do like to kind of lump some of these late ones together just because you start to get into this, this is where I take a shot type of zone. Your uh, 10th, late 10th, 119, I think, would be the pick number on that. Benedict Matherin, who you did mention earlier on. Uh, and then it's so small, I can't read it. Which Thompson is that? Uh, SR. SR Thompson. That's Detroit? Yeah, it's my yes, bad. Sir. I should have made this bigger on my own screen. Sorry, everybody. I know it's very small, especially if I can't see what team they're on. Uh, so I guess just talk me through those two picks at, uh, towards the end of this mock. Matherin's really simple. I said it before. Like, can he score 20 points a game and get to the line six times and shoot 85%? Yes. Has he flashed a few little extra things in preseason? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit interested. But what I do know is that the 28 minutes a night that he played last season is almost certainly going to increase. He's moved into the starting lineup ahead of Buddy Heald. There's five extra minutes there. He was a pretty empty player last season, but it is it was first year, right? Like stuff can change, but getting that free throw volume is really important. Plus there's more room to grow. Asar Thompson, it appears he's going to start. I was on the fence with him whether he was going to start or not. It was sort of leaning towards that way at this point. I think in a lot of drafts, you won't see him in round 11. He'll go in 10. But an ability to be a rebounds, assist, steals, and blocks player is, is a weird combination. There's not many blokes who do that, right? But he could, if he played 30 minutes a night, there's no reason he couldn't be five rebounds, four assists, 1.5 steals, and a block. That's not a combination that really exists. Yeah, he might shoot 39% and 65 from the line. That is true. But I also think that the volume and usage won't be super, super high. And he's just a guy that I, I like to bet on because I think he's really good. I, I just think he's got amazing fear, and I think he just figures shit out when he plays. And I wanted some steals, and I think he brings them. And I don't know who else. Like, Herb Jones is there. But again, Herb Jones is there, Dan. And who took him? Jonas. Like, that. that's great. Herb will give you those steals. I don't know how much scope Herb has to jump up this board. Asab might jump down it, but I think he's got more scope to jump up it. And that's sort of what I'm targeting. And I know I don't have our 12th on here, but just looking back at your team as a whole, what were your thoughts, even now, maybe current Josh, looking back at, at past Josh, what did you like, what didn't you like as you kind of moved through this thing? Well, I knew that you were going to be coming, you know, asking me, like, what do you think is a late round pick? And one of the guys I do like to target, and I'd forgotten what I did in this draft, so I looked at it. So the 12th round isn't here, but I'm going to spoil it for everyone. I, I did take Kobe White in round 12, because this was around the time when I was getting that word that he would be the starter. And I would say that that is as close to locked in as you can get something happening, right? So is Kobe White going to blow us away? I don't know. But people also, I don't think paid a little much attention to Kobe last season. I thought he was really, really strong down the stretch in particular. I thought he played quite well. I thought that some of his like 
the what he was able to do, efficiency scoring, even his passing has improved, um, was intriguing. I was a bit surprised that no one paid him more than they did in uh, the offseason. But what you did see, and I don't know how related this is, Dan, so don't like hold me to this, but you know that I've spoken to you about the last two months of the season when the Bulls started to improve and they reduced Vooch's minutes and they also reduced DeMar DeRozan's usage in that time. And coincidentally or not, Kobe White's production in that time went up. So did they just change the distribution of the offense a little bit to get White more involved? I don't know. But a starting point guard in those last rounds who you know has got scoring, free throws, assists, threes, upside is what I'll take. And that's the way I built my team. And like, again, could I have taken Mike Conley there? Maybe. I don't know if he went or not. Sure. But I think there's more upside in White. Could I have taken one of the Jazz guys? Yeah, but who out of the six do I take? Like, there's just so many options there. Like, <laughs> White locked in. Is it going to burn me? I honestly don't care. Like, if, if it doesn't work out at pick, whatever the bloody hell this is, 100 and someone work it out for me. I, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. But starting point guard, late rounds, let's try it out. You know I hate the term, but I'm going to use it here because it's the easiest one for folks to uh, to grab onto. Sleeper zone. This is a, this is sort of the sleeper zone. Were there any other players that went in these last few rounds that you were hoping would get to your team, or somebody maybe that uh, popped up on another team went, oh damn, that was a that was a good one. Um, who are the Josh Lloyd late targets in addition to perhaps um, Matherin, Thompson, and Kobe White? Well, if you want a sleeper that nobody's talking about, yeah, on a rope, but Tim might be someone to to think about. But... You can't just say noises, Josh. That's not <laughs> I, I, this. That he is the most random player in the league, this bloke. And <laughs> I, I is he going to play a single second? I don't know. Anyway, is anyone? He's a two way guy for the Bulls. But in terms of the guys that I do look at in those later rounds, White is always someone I'm going to look at. Paul Reed is someone that I'm going to take a look at. Um, Asar Thompson is one of those guys that I'll take a look at. And the other one that I'll bring up is, is Derek Lively for this very particular reason, Dan, we talk about the scarcity and the way categories disappear. Once you head into round 12, finding really anybody who has got block upside, who has a role that you think might occur. It's there's nobody like out of the flyers. They're all like these wingy, guardy sort of a player who's like, oh, maybe we'll see this guy score a little bit or get a bit of a boost or it's, I might take my Quentin Grimes here and see what he does. The centers who have that upside, they don't exist. I don't, unless I'm missing someone, I don't know who the hell that you can get that might average 1.9 blocks in 20 minutes that Lively can. And if he actually succeeds in that role and plays 26 minutes, well, he beats this number pretty consistently towards the end, but there's just nobody else who fills that role at the end of a draft. I, I don't and look at, maybe I'm missing someone. I don't know who else it is. I, he is that guy. I don't think you're missing. I mean, just looking back at this draft alone and people can, can squint and see it on their screen. The last shot blocker uh, mm. was Keith took Mitchell Robinson in the 11th pick of the ninth round. The I other think. big who usually goes here around that area is like Steve Adams, but he's not a big shot blocker. Right. But, after he goes off the board, there's there's nobody. The, the centers are all weird. There's like this third, fourth round group of centers. There's this seventh, eighth round group of centers. You Gaffords and Williams and um, Durans and Zach Collins and those guys. And then you hit round 11 and it's, they're, they're gone. There's nobody. There's nobody. no centers who are projected for roles at all. Like maybe it's a Rob Williams, but who knows how much he's going to play. And then 
where are the young upsidey sort of centers? They're, they're not there. And again, scarcity and difference versus the other players that are there. Like that is what I think draws me to getting lively in one of those later rounds, because it might not hit, but if it does, there's no other white person. I think around someone might appear due to injuries, like maybe Horford and Porzingis go down and Namias Cater is starting and playing 27 minutes in Boston and he would be good, but lively's, Got, he's got the spot now. Like we see what it does, but he's got the opportunity. So you take it. Yeah. I think the only other note there is um, there's literally one center eligible player, not two, two who went in the last two rounds. They're both listed as like forward slash center. It's Paul Reed, who mm-hmm. you mentioned, and uh, Bobby Portis, who was the very last pick of this fantasy draft. Mr. Mr. Irrelevant who, of this draft. Who, who, never blocks a sh- who never blocks a shot anyway. No, who doesn't block a shot. So yeah, I mean, you. But that's another funny thing, and then I, I know I, I said I'd have you in and out of here, and I'm, I'm running you a little long with, with follow-up questions. It's such a weird draft, because like you said, there, we talk about this abundance of centers, but they dry up like at that. There's a snap, and then they're just all gone. And then you're also seeing, I think, on the front end of drafts, teams are sort of guard hunting. So they get pushed all together in like the middle five rounds of a yeah. draft. And if you don't make your move there, you can get caught kind of with your fantasy pants down a little bit. Um, this is, by the way, me hearkening back to me describing this uh, YouTube page as a blossoming <laughs> flower. So I, I really tied it all together. What do you do with a board that's built the way this one is? I can't remember this happening in like the last decade where all the centers were just smushed into the middle rounds like this. Yeah, it is very distinct. And you can either grab those guys or you can... And this is why when, you know, I, and I know you push back on it to the term of sleepers or busts or must drafts or any of that sort of stuff, because, you know, when you get into 40s and 50s and 60s, the difference between a bloke at 45 and 70 is so marginal. And if you just want to do something different strategically and be like, well, I know that there's going to be four centers. And often you see in round four, there's like four or five centers go in a row. You go, all right, they're all, they're all gone. So what do I do here? And you know that in round seven, <laughs> yeah. that Gafford and Williams and Duran and someone else is going to go. And you go, okay, they're all going to go. What if I don't get him? So why maybe I just take Gafford at pick 60. I get ahead of the curve. And then sometimes if you do that, you then trigger others to go, oh man, now I grab my centers. And then someone else falls down back later to you. So we love sitting ourselves. I think I said this to you on another show with these rank numbers and the ordinality of them. It's like, well, this guy's 57. So therefore he is one spot better than 58. Who's one spot better than 59. Who's one spot better than 60. That's just not real. Like it's just not what it is. And when we look at values in an auction draft, as well, like the top last 30, 40 blokes go for a dollar, but in a head-to-head league, they're ranked from 110 to 150. Yeah, they're the same. Like they're the exact same player. And the difference between the guy at 10 and 20 is not the same as the guy between 10 and 30. But we obsess about these rank numbers. Sometimes strategically, if you just move things around and mix it up and go, well, they're going to all go here. I know they're all going to go here. Let's do it 10 spots early, 20 spots early, and let's see what happens. And let's see what that leads to. And then while the others then go, shit, I need to grab bigs, then maybe you get that guard who slid down because there's a bunch of five of them that you know, maybe now two of them are pushed down to in another spot. That's, you know, just that's some deeper thinking. Or is it thinking? I don't know. I'm sitting here talking about fake basketball stats. But it's also <laughs> a different way of looking at strategy. Just break the, break the mind idea that 50 is better than 60 by 10 spots because they're not. Yeah, especially for particular teams. Maybe that's the most important thing to take away from that is like, and this is actually something that I struggle with. And I was just talking about this on on the show earlier today, where when I'm caught on the turn, 
This is the thing that my brain resets to. It's like, well, I didn't want to take this guy until 45. Mm. I'm not going to have a pick for 23 damn slots after this. I got no choice. Oh, crap, am I pricing him out? And I get so caught up in that god-awful negative feedback loop thinking that I forget, like, this is a guy that my team needs right now. So, okay, fine. Like, maybe he was going to be in nine slots of value, and now he's not anymore. But if I don't get that guy, my team is in a bad way. So team fit sometimes kind of trumps the whole, like, can I get a round of value out of a guy? Now, it's different because you were talking about some of these guys towards the end. If you're getting three, four rounds of push, you know, the number 60 guy is better than the number 110 guy. There's a there's a difference there. The, the yes. 15 guy is better than the number 45 guy. Uh, but, you know, if you're talking about someone that you have at 40 uh, and you really want to draft them at 50 to get that little squeeze of value, but your pick is at 41, that's okay. That's an okay decision to make. Fine. You got like what I, I used to lose a lot of baseball analogies on this show. That's just like a clean single to the opposite field. You got a nice pick. You move along. Don't stress about it. It's not a home run, but it's okay. And Josh, I took way more of your time than I intended to, but I think you do have a final thought there. I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't know what I was going to say. It was was something probably inane, I'm sure. No, it was going to be deep. It was more just along the lines of, yeah, like we have to break our idea that while the draft is the most fun part of the season, like it is super hard. Unless you just butcher six picks in a row, you can recover from it. It, Like things change really quickly. Rankings for as important as they might or might not be, they change really fast as well. Like things can adjust in the, the, you know, one extra steal a week changes the guy's valuation immensely over the course of the year so don't just bury yourself into what an adp is what a rank is or someone telling you that it was a a ship pick or a fantastic pick because you're going to look back at it in two months and it's going to be wildly different based on someone shooting 47 percent instead of 49 percent and that is like such a small change in these We, we are dealing with minute numbers most of the time here and small changes impact stuff a lot. You've just got to be flexible and have the ability to actually know what you're seeing and how to, how to, how to fix it. That was a wonderful ball on the tee moment for me to meet it, for it to segue into. This is why you need to follow Josh during the regular season as well at Red Rock underscore B ball. Listen to all 4,000 of his damn podcast. Maybe just start with the <laughs> ones that are the most recent. Uh, you can follow me all season long as well. I am at Dan Bespris. Uh, Josh, thank you, my good man. I Again, I told you I was going to take like 30 minutes of your time, and I took 50, so much appreciated. Uh, and I've been promising everyone, and I'm going to hold myself to it, and I expect you to do so as well, that I'm actually going to be good about scheduling things this year. So with that preface, can I talk to you soon? Absolutely, man. No problem. My man. He is the great Josh Lloyd. I'm going to send him back to his day because he has the whole day in front of him right now. Josh, thank you again. Josh Lloyd at Red Rock underscore B-Ball, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. You know him, you love him, and he is still in his early morning. My day is shaped already. I got nowhere to go but down from here. (laughs) Uh, Always a good chat as well. Thank you, of course, to our buddies at Manscaped.com. Use promo code ETHOS20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping on the brand spanking new... Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It is out of this world. Please go visit manscaped.com on our next show. I'll have some graphics I can throw up on the screen. Uh, they're actually going to send me one that I can show you guys live on a show. 
it does look pretty dang futuristic. I got to say, the pictures that I've seen are uh, something. It has a very different look to it than previous lawnmowers. So definitely check that out. The Handyman we've been talking about all month long, that is the actual uh, face electric razor. So you can get the tight trim. Lawnmower is the actual uh, the trimmer as well. That again, that password, code, coupon, Ethos 20, Ethos 20, Ethos 20% off, free shipping on your order over at manscaped.com. There were some good questions in the chat room, actually. I might try to copy and paste some of those over to Twitter. But if you guys actually want to just uh, reply to the post when I throw this up there on social, then uh, that'll that'll hit both of us that way as well. So uh, again, big thank you to Josh for spending more time than I told him he was going to have to spend on the show because I'm a butthead and I asked long, meandering follow-up questions. But he knows what he's dealing with when he comes in with Dan. I talk a lot. Um, please guys take a moment to hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. It really does mean a whole lot. If you're listening on the pod side, uh, drop that five-star review. And no matter how you're consuming our content, please take just a second to subscribe. YouTube makes it really easy. I don't know how easy that is on all the different pod channels, but please hitting those buttons. It really does mean the world to us here. Me in particular, because these are the things that I invest, um, frankly, way too much time into. Um, and, uh, so thank you in advance for that. Again, you can find Josh on Twitter at redrock underscore B ball. I am at D a N B E S B R I S. This is fantasy NBA today, a sports ethos presentation. Your two shows for Wednesday are complete, uh, to those listening or watching after the fact, hopefully this remains fairly useful for you coming up here on fantasy NBA today. Tomorrow, I believe we're going to be talking to Dan Titus in the afternoon. He actually had the number one pick in this mock draft, Titus over uh, with Yahoo Fantasy Sports. And I know I'm forgetting something. Um, and so with apologies, if I'm forgetting an actual person that I'm talking to tomorrow, if there is not a person in the morning tomorrow, we might get into the most fun team show. That's one that I've actually been looking forward to, and I've been kind of pushing it back and back and back. Um, but that's not something that I do very often. Um, it's kind of the anti-Dan Vespers team, but we'll do a most fun team. We've got the Dan Vespers old man squad coming up. That'll either be a weekend episode or right before the season starts next week. Most of you guys already know the players that I'm targeting based on all the shows we've done, but it'll be fun to sort of put them all into one gigantic pocket. Uh, and we still haven't talked about the first two round combinations. It's not pairings, it's combinations and what that sets you up with. There are so many of them because it's 12 or 24 pick two, basically. Um, so combinations and permutations are not going to work. There's uh, millions of ways you could actually draft those two rounds, but obviously certain players are more available to you in certain areas of those two rounds, uh, and we'll focus on those and, and kind of how do you build your teams from that. Um, we will also have a show coming up, I believe it's over the weekend, with Matt Smith, also over at Basketball Monster. Forgot to mention that uh, is where Josh is the lead analyst. And... I think we'll talk to Brew again before the season starts. I'm forgetting something, and I'm going to feel bad about it as soon as I hit off air. But that's where we're at now. Thanks again, everybody. See you soon.